Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. We're going to go over the crazy wide receiver market and whether or not we're going to see some more big trades with players like DK Metcalf potentially on the block. Also, finally getting to a roundup of free agency. I not only go over the quote-unquote winners and losers, but also try to look at an objective, quantifiable way of adding and subtracting value. This is Unexpected Points. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Just me here. I enjoyed my interview, and hopefully you did too, with Sam Schwartzstein. About to say Schwartzman. Don't ask me why. I guess there's. I think there's quite a few more Schwartzmans out there than Schwartzsteins. But Sam was great. Uh, hopefully, we'll have him more on the pod going forward, maybe in a permanent role. So we're looking forward to that. It's always good for me to have a chance to bounce ideas off of someone, especially someone whose ideas I respect so much. And in that vein, later this week, on Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to record a pod with Jim Sonis, who works with FanDuel slash NumberFire, doing a lot of the content. And he has a good quarterback model that I heard him discuss on J.J. Zacharyson's podcast. If you're not listening to to J.J., um, it's the Late Round Podcast. He does a great job there. I'm going to do a little bit more extended interview with Jim where I try to convince him also that Matt Corral is indeed the QB1 of this class. I'm going a little too deep towards my Corral love, especially because I don't know if I really like any of the quarterbacks in this class particularly, but I'll have Jim rein me in a bit. And I'm also bringing Jim on, even though he's a numbers guy, where you figure that might be some you know, duplication of opinions here, but it's just a better discussion if I'm going to discuss these things with another numbers-based person because we can get into, okay, what are the things you're looking at, the model? Luckily, it's a small sample of quarterback we're talking about here. What may be missing context? What may be other factors that should be considered more in there? It's just a lot easier than getting into discussion about, you know, whether or not someone is running a pro system or not, because even if you can, accurately define whether or not someone is running a pro system which is or they're using too many rpos as has been said about uh, matt corral then the secondary part is you know will he be a good nfl quarterback well the thought is this reveals something about how the coaches think about him this is not a translatable skill and so on and so forth we don't really know what that means about whether or not they'll actually be a good quarterback in the NFL. Surely it gives us less confidence than if he performed well under an exact NFL system. But it may not be as much of a disqualifying factor as some people think. And people are just basically guessing on how big of a factor it is or is not. So we want to have real things that we can dig our teeth into in sorting through not just this quarterback class, but evaluations, predictions, projections generally. And if you want to get more access to... The predictions, projections, content at PFF. Use promo code UNEXPECTED, 25% off, all locked article content. The mock draft simulator is a big thing right now. All the trades have been built into there. You can do a bunch of different 
uh, simulations, number, choose the number of rounds, choose the teams you want to do, choose if you want to make trades or not. Everything is built in there, including a newly updated and refined and accurate grading system here where guess what? That first round running back, not going to like it a whole lot. But if you scoop up a value at quarterback or maybe wide receiver or another one of the valuable positions here, it's going to like it a little bit more for you. So go ahead, check that out. PFF, 25% off promo code unexpected. So I I hinted early in the episode that we're going to talk about the wide receiver market because I feel like this has just been a seismic shift in the availability of top wide receivers, the willingness of teams to pay a lot in terms of draft capital and then re-upping contracts for wide receivers. And now chatter that we're hearing about younger wide receivers potentially being traded where I just don't feel like you'd ever hear about, oh, maybe DK Metcalf would get traded. Maybe AJ Brown will get traded. You know, these big teams, you never, never really hear about those guys potentially getting traded in the past, especially from teams who are competing. I mean, let's face it, even if you go back to Amari Cooper, we have the Cowboys are competing, the Packers are competing, the um, Kansas City Chiefs are obviously competing, and they are trading away these players. So it's, it's a little bit of a unique circumstance versus teams that are in rebuilding or in a soft rebuild, trading away those types of players. But before we get to that, I just want to briefly mention the Bruce Arians retirement. I know it seems like a lifetime ago, but we did not have a chance to discuss that on last Wednesday's podcast. Yes, Bruce Arians has gone to that to that great Kangold in the sky, and it looks like he's going to be part of the front office there doing probably nothing but collecting a paycheck, which will be nice for him. The speculation is that Brady wasn't too hot on the – I won't call it semi-retirement, but the less engaged version of Bruce Arians that he saw last season in particular, and maybe even the season before after the Super Bowl and you know Arians being of an advanced age, Arians focusing with his, when he talked about his coaches, he says, we want to make sure you guys are home to you know see recitals and, see, and go to your kids' games and all these sorts of things. He was focused more on that full life perspective, smell the roses type of thing. And guess what? That's not Tom Brady. So was the whole retirement a ruse on his part to potentially get traded to someone else? Um, maybe. I don't know. The way that he flipped around so quickly, we don't really know. But Arian's retirement should not have been something that was nearly as shocking as it was. I mean, of course it's shocking anytime that a coach intentionally leaves from a team that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. But just to gratuitous self-promotion here for me when Brady announced that he was coming back uh, my first reaction though was that he's you know he was gonna if he was gonna come back it had to be now that he wasn't gonna take off more than a year or so and then my follow-up tweet on this was and again this is March 13th uh, 2022 I said somewhat tongue-in-cheek but being somewhat serious I said end quote now we wait and see if Brady has the pull to get Arians to suddenly retire. And I put I put that in quotes on the tweet. Suddenly retire, meaning a fake retirement. And guess what? Arians suddenly, re- suddenly retired. I didn't quite think that was going to happen. But the tensions between Arians and Brady, there, there's enough chat. There's enough smoke, I think, to realize that, that some of it is real. Whether we can 100% attribute him leaving to Tom Brady saying that he wanted him gone or he wasn't going to come back. I don't know or not. But again, credit to me here. 
predicting that one coming through. And maybe it shouldn't have been as unexpected as some others seeing. I don't think it's going to be a big deal when it comes to what is going to happen with the Bucks, as long as Leftwich is still there. Todd Bowles is, is there now taking over. What I will say is that Arians, from the things that we can rate on the outside, he was pretty god-awful when it came to things like fourth down decisions. Not quite as bad when it came to maybe pass run options, but he had been pretty bad or left, which had been pretty bad when it came to those things, when they were scared out of their minds to let Jameis Winston do anything a couple of years ago. So I don't think turning things more fully over to left, which can necessarily be bad in that component. Now Todd Bowles is pretty notoriously bad when it comes to conservatism as a defensive coach on things like fourth down, but you never know. Maybe he, he can't be much worse than Arians basically. And uh, you know, Bowles things didn't really end well for, for him with the, with the Jets, he didn't have that much of a chance. They went in on a Brian Fitzpatrick-led team with you know Marshall and Decker and others to try to get back to the playoffs. Ryan Fitzpatrick successfully won a game of chicken against the front office there to get a bigger contract and come back after that season. And of course, things did not end up so well there. So if, if that's your you know your your talent level that you're going around and who you're relying upon. At quarterback, maybe we shouldn't be so hard on Todd Bowles and wish him success this time around. But let's talk about my first real big topic here, and this is the wide receiver market. The Devontae Adams trade and then the Tyreek Hill trades. If you listen to prior podcasts on this, I went through the trade values based upon our conception of how much pick values are in our wins above replacement metric, how much you're gaining in war. So just to quickly review what those are, it was a little bit under one war, one win uh, above replacement for the pick value that was sent from Las Vegas to Green Bay in the Devontae Adams trade. And then in the Tyreek Hill trade, which added on not only, you know, the first and second round pick, but then also additional uh, later round picks, it got all the way up to 1.2 war. That's a big, big number, especially when we're talking about Adams and Hill are respectively 29 and 28 years old. We're talking about third contracts. The It's an exponential decline or decay, you sh- I should say, of players who are good as rookies and then perform well through their second contracts and then perform well through their third contracts. No, it's less than half of a decline every time. Now, these are elite players, so perhaps the the risk isn't that big, but that's a huge trade compensation packages for these guys, considering that their age, considering the fact that they were immediately re-upped to market-leading contracts of 28 between 28 and $30 million a year, depending upon how you want to look at what the amounts are there, extensions that they're immediately given by their new teams. Um, so you have that as part of it. And then if we look at the major quarterback trades that happened this offseason, there is a cap on the amount that can credibly be traded in a lot of these deals because you can only trade three years out into the future. So even if you're trading three first round draft picks, you know, a first round draft pick two years out in the future isn't worth more than a second round draft pick right now. Um, so yeah, you got the three first round picks and other stuff for Russell Wilson. You got the three first round picks and additional picks for Deshaun Watson, but those two total trade amounts were coming in 
For Russell Wilson, it's about two war. You you include the players who were traded in that, Noah Fant and uh, Drew Locke, who are the main components of the players who were traded there. Maybe it busts, maybe it, it bumps you up to you know 2.1, 2.15. The Deshaun Watson trade, they've rejiggered the amounts on here. So it's more like 2.3 war, so a little bit more expensive. But again, if we're looking at Russell Wilson, let's just talk about Russell Wilson straight off. 33 years old versus Devontae Adams at 29 years old or Tyreek Hill at 28 years old. If I were going to put my money with even odds on split, even odds split between these three players, like who will be playing at an elite level the longest into the future, I would still bet on Russell Wilson, even though he's either four or five years older than these other guys because of the position he plays. So the trade compensation, while twice the amount, is compared to the wide receivers, you're going to be getting a lot higher level of play for probably longer at the most important position by far, you know, uh, multiples as far as the amount of gain that you're going to get from a war basis from Russell Wilson over a, even an average quarterback, let alone a replacement level quarterback. So there's just tons, tons more value and it's more, and it's a more valuable deal. And they're not even re-upping him at least immediately there in in that sort of contract Deshaun Watson even a younger player here younger than those wide receivers has tons has a has a window of 10 12 you know who knows how many years of high level elite play I mean there's no way that those guys are gonna be playing until they're 40 years old the wide receivers and he is re-upped on on a super high amount but again not extraordinarily extravagant vis-a-vis paying 30 million dollars to a receiver so i think what that has done now in the wide receiver market is these are irrational deals to bring in these wide receivers at those numbers the reason that you hadn't seen a lot of top high-end talent wide receivers leave before generally it's not a position you can really get high-end talent in free agency or even via trade, although we did the Stephon Diggs trade. Because remember the Diggs trade here. One first-round pick, much younger player. Not as high level of a player, perception at that time. But still, younger player, just signed an extension. Was a fifth-round pick coming out of college, so it wasn't a huge extension. The number. Never renegotiated that number. Is still playing on a, I don't know what it is, $16 million a year, $17 million a year right now. One first-round pick basically, was the going price there for a much younger player on a much lower deal. Look at the DeAndre Hopkins deal. Basically a second-round pick and a, a worthless player in David Johnson. Yes, they had to re-up him to, to, a, to a bigger amount there. But again, this is a player who was solidly in his mid-20s at this point with a much longer runway of you know twice as long of a potential prime as the couple players that we're seeing here. So with this sort of market bubbling out there, this has really shifted the wide receiver market. And especially because the wide receiver market is really strange when there's become this perception because of the success of some of the younger receivers that I'm going to mention here who have been talked about in trade talks, whether it's DK Metcalf or AJ Brown. Remember, these guys are second round picks. These were not top, top picks that had to be used. So there, because of them, there became this perception that maybe you can find elite wide receiver talent later in the draft, which in a way makes it less worth trading for. But that got flipped completely on its head right now. So now you have competing teams willing to make these deals because it's just godfather type of offers. You cannot 
an offer so so good you could not refuse them for these teams, even if they could conceivably get under the salary cap, strained salary cap for the Chiefs and for the Packers. So now when it comes to someone like DK Metcalf, I was talking about Metcalf because he's the one who's probably being spoken of the most with the unfortunate or purposeful word choice of no intention or no intent or do not intend to trade DK Metcalf. The same exact word choice that was being used about Russell Wilson when, in fact, we learned thereafter that Pete Carroll and John Snyder were already discussing potentially sending him to Denver at the time, I believe. I believe they said weeks of works went into these trade negotiations. So with his name floating out there, Metcalf's name, I mean, let's think about it. He is still on his rookie contract. How much he'll be able to demand, I'm not sure. There is this weird thing where an established player even going for his third contract, if he's truly an elite talent like a Devontae Adams, can demand more despite the fact that they're probably not going to be worth as much than someone like DK Metcalf, who is who just turned 24 years old. So again, probably double the prime of those other players that we talked about here. A.J. Brown, we'll just throw Brown in there because he is also being talked about a bit here. He's going to turn 25 in June. So again, 24 years old, probably double the prime on these guys. The Seahawks are not in a cap hell type of situation after trading away Russell Wilson, but if they are in a rebuild situation, maybe they could look at this. But I feel like, Metcalf has much more likelihood to be useful for them than an older receiver would in a similar situation. So I'm not quite sure that that he really is a good trade guy to send out there. And I think also the problem is, and this goes to the Baker Mayfield trade situation or the Jimmy Garoppolo trade situation is, here is when you have the musical chairs where the chairs that you have around the circle are teams desirous of a particular player willing to trade a lot for a particular player a a particular position i should say when you have that and then you have a number of potential quarterbacks all going around the musical chairs well we had you know carson wentz sit down in one of those quarterback seats we've had matt ryan sit down in another one of those quarterback seats we've had mitchell trubisky sit down in one of those quarterback seats at a pretty low number, but one of those seats. You have Marcus Mariota sitting down in one of those seats. Once you have all of that happening, you have Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo still walking around looking for a seat, and it may not be there despite the fact that they should be worth more than someone like Carson Wentz, you would think. They should be. Multiple day two picks going as part of that deal, a decent contract as part of that deal, but yet they can't find a seat. I'm wondering in the wide receiver market, despite all the chatter with DK Metcalf or AJ Brown, are there any seats left other than the New York Jets who were linked to the Tyreek Hill deal? And does DK Metcalf, even if he's playing for Seattle rebuilding, does he want to go play for the New York Jets? Does AJ Brown probably really doesn't want to play for the New York Jets knowing how successful he's been with Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee? And the important part here also when we talk about the musical chairs aspect of it is one chair is almost like zero chairs sometimes. The amount of compensation that the Jets were able to get from the Miami Dolphins does not exist 
I'm not sorry, the Jets, that the Chiefs were able to get from the Miami Dolphins does not exist in a world that the New York Jets aren't also serious bidders. Even though after the fact, Tyreek Hill admitted to the fact that he had no intention of wanting to go to New York, that he wanted to go to Miami. But you have a desperate team in the Dolphins willing to give up a lot of compensation with a lot of cap space because of their rookie quarterback. It's not all in for when it comes to Greer, but he's been around for a while. He needs to show some results there this season. They were supposed to be a playoff team last season. Didn't happen. They need to be a playoff team this season. So because of that desperation and the knowledge that the Jets were also in the bidding, they were able to pump up that bid a a bit more. Now, if it's just the Jets who are out there with a serious first-round pick, second-round pick, maybe more type of offer for a wide receiver out there, what incentive do the Jets have of coming up to that level that they would need, They would have needed to beat the Dolphins if there is no second bidder? I say this a lot, and it's something that people don't quite understand when it comes to these markets. Sure, there are rational bids sometimes, but if you're a rational bidder, You don't care what the team who holds the player currently thinks about that player. You don't care that the team is saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get rid of him or not unless the offer's high enough. What you really care the most about is what another team is willing to pay, what a second bidder is willing to pay. That is the bid that you have to to beat. Because once a a team, especially when it comes to a quarterback, has decided to to move on from their quarterback, they're not going to stick around with someone who they hate just because you're not willing to give them enough. They're going to they're going to want to move on from that player. So the Seahawks here, it's going to be tough for them optically to trade DK Metcalf, even if they wanted to, if the Jets are the only team there and they won't even pony up as much as they would have for Tyreek Hill. Because DK is cheap, right? This is a guy who came into the 2019 draft. They've completed three seasons. They could be re-upping him. Um right now they're not but still you can play them out this fourth season you can franchise tag them you could maybe even franchise tag them a second time and then trade him for a ransom if he continues to, to play well so it all depends on how much they're really leaning hard into this rebuild when it comes to aj brown again that's kind of a weird one like if you're not going to get a super super trade deal here it seems difficult when you're trying to compete you have all these resources invested in your quarterback and your running back and Derrick Henry and other positions that you've brought in there. It seems really, really hard to throw away, not throw away, to trade away your number one playmaker in that type of situation. But I think it is interesting that generally, we'll see if it's a one-year blip or not. Generally, there has been a kind of irrational exuberance in the wide receiver market for trades and Teams are now trying to cash in on that. To even think about hearing A.J. Brown's name or D.K. Metcalf's name means teams are thinking about trading in on that. The thing is, they might have been just a little too late to really get enough trade compensation to justify getting rid of players who are that young and that productive. Okay, before I get on to the free agency wrap-up type of talk. Let's talk Manscaped. Okay, the only true guarantee quality pickup this season 
Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming with Manscaped Performance 4.0 package 4.0. Your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4.340. Not even sure what that means exactly, but means it's 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 I guess wind resistance is not is not quite going on there. Um I may need to to bring in Adam Levitan over at uh, Establish a Run to talk about his. I guess he has a pumps per 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 second or per minute. I can't I think it's pumps per pumps per minute, something like that. We have to have have him figure out what that means there. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for twenty percent off and free shipping because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology. Your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting your players, the cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Okay. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Weed whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but is also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. I did not know that. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to the good old cancer of the testes, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. All right, free agency. So what I'm doing here, and this is called unabashed um, stealing here from friend of the pod, Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap. I was listening to his podcast, which I recommend. comes out with every week, once a week, normally on the, the Friday night, Saturday, some sort of area, where he was talking about free agency. And he had a good metric that I liked when he was talking about teams here. And that was just looking at net for teams in free agency, the contracts that they've signed that have come from outside somewhere else to them, the value there, and then the value that's been signed outside of that. And then getting an idea of how much value that they've, they've gained or lost in that sort of area. I'm going to use that concept and data that I got from his website, overthecap.com, and I'm going to make a couple tweaks to it. Number one, I'm going to count guys in this formula who have not been signed elsewhere but are basically cut from their, from their, from their teams, but I'm going to lower their expected salary by to one-third of what their previous salary was. That might be a little bit harsh, but I'm going to try to be uh, conservative on the fact that some of these guys are just not that attractive, and that's why they got cut in the first place. Number two, I'm taking all quarterbacks out of the equation – who are not starters. So quarterbacks are just expensive sometimes for backup. You know, if you're paying $8 million for a backup, I'm not going to make it seem like that is value that you're adding to the roster necessarily. It could end up being a valuable position, of course, but it, it skews some of these numbers versus the more productive or more likely to have snap players, uh, positional players that are going to be part of this in there. So that's the second adjustment that I'm making there. And then the third thing that I'm doing here is I also have values for the gain or loss of our wins above replacement that I am projecting based upon the player movement. So we're going to bring the dollars and cents side into it together with 
the improvement index. That's what I call this index that's at pff.com where it ranks all 32 teams by their expected percent change in war year over year based upon calculating their wins that they were going to have with their roster at the end of the 2021 season. If they had that same 2021 roster and they play that same exact roster through the 2022 season, how many wins will we expect versus now their updated roster for the 2022 season? Okay. And then you can kind of get an impression of not just who is spending the most, because you spend $18 million on a player, according to the calculation here, you're going to be adding $18 million in value. Um, but if that player is not moving the needle that much, according to our work calculation, it's just poor, poor spending. So I'll hit the, the teams that are at the top and the bottom of this list. Maybe I'll bounce around a little bit here too, uh, focusing on some division rivals, things like that. But just generally go through what I think has been the most interesting here. We're going to start on the poor side of the ledger. And this is not necessarily bad moves when I'm looking at the differences in annual per year value of contracts of players you brought in versus players you lost. So these are not necessarily bad moves. Sometimes if someone's willing to sign a player to a huge deal who isn't worth that amount, you just say, hey, more power to you. If you're, real, if you're able to trade away a player like Devontae Adams, and I'm going to talk about the Packers first here. If you're able to trade away a player who's immediately signed to a 28 per year, 28 million, you know, annual per year type of extension, you're getting draft capital back for, for this type of trade. It's not just a pure loss, quote unquote loss in that, in that sort of way. Now you're going to feel it this year. The Packers are one of the lowest teams on my improvement index right here. They are in the bottom 10, well, bottom seven. But they're not at the bottom, bottom, bottom. And that's because they still have Aaron Rodgers. So even losing Devontae Adams, I only have that to being maybe half a win that they're losing this season. Losing him and Valdez Scantling and others and Zadarius Smith, it's still probably only about half a win when you filter in the other players. But it is a big percent difference compared to other teams. So let's talk about the Packers real fast. Because again, the Packers... If you look at the differences between their annual per year values they brought in versus those who left out, we're looking at about $63 million more out than in. So who do the Packers have coming in? I think this is part of the problem here. And this is starting to give people flashbacks to Packers of old is that there's just nobody. I mean, sure, they brought back Aaron Rodgers at a ridiculous number they extended Preston Smith so he's on here they signed Devondre Campbell again that's a number that you had at a much lower number and you're upping the number but I'm not going to give you credit for bringing in more talent there because it's the same player you're just you're just raising his number Rasul Douglas same situation same player you're just raising his number um so there just really isn't much here. It's Jerron Reed and the interior defensive line from the Chiefs they, that they brought in a little bit over $3 million. You got a punter, Pat O'Donnell, $2 million. Curious decision. And that's about it. You got maybe a $1 million player down here who barely played, but not, nothing else that much going on here. So the Packers just really have done nothing when it comes to upgrading the roster uh, with with talent. And then if you go to the other side, the players who – they have lost, again, Devontae Adams at $28 million a season, Zadarius Smith at $14 million, 
You have uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling at ten million a season. You have Lucas Patrick, uh, a guard at four million, and then you have a smattering of other players here at you know that one to five million type of range that they've been losing out here. Not a huge deal. Probably going to be able to fill it in with other players, but I think what the Packers are losing here, which might not be fully captured in my half a win ish sort of estimate for how much they're losing, is depth. And that's also what can happen sometimes when we say the salary cap is fake, when we're able to look at how you're able to maneuver to keep those star players. What is lost in that is that sometimes the most value per dollar type of players, the guys that you're signing who are not at the minimum, because minimum type of players are in high demand with a bunch of teams trying to fill out their roster. Not necessarily those guys, but the guys that cost a little bit more, the guys who cost, let's say, two, three to 10 million or more like 7 million in that sort of range. You're just not able to afford those guys anymore to fill out the roster. You're losing depth, your floor outcome. It becomes lower and lower if you can't keep injuries at bay. So like my projections are still projecting that Aaron Rodgers is going to be very successful throwing to other wide receivers. But now we're getting to the situation of, well, what if Alan Lazard gets injured? Who was really left there? Is a Randall Cobb, Amari Rodgers offense where they're both running, you know, five yards down the field all the time. Is that going to be worth, is that going to be able to maximize the $50 million a year that you're paying Aaron Rodgers? Probably not. So they're going to need to bring in some guys here. They have some space, so I'm interested to see what they're going to do. But again, we kind of need them to do something here. And that's why they're at the bottom of the list. Second is the Bears. Now talk about flipping the script here on the um, value type of calculation, right? Where you just don't have a lot of options for Ryan Poles there. It's a very weird situation when you have a GM come in to a front office where they made not a Hail Mary decision to trade up to get Justin Fields, but certainly it was a decision that was probably inappropriate based upon the timing and the rebuild of the team. You waited a year too long, maybe even two years, probably more like two or three years too long, well, two years too long for sure, to dump that front office, to dump Ryan Pace and to bring in a new front office that has the lack of attachments to prior plans, that has the clarity of mind and purpose to come in and rebuild. Because what the Bears did here is the ugly side of now what everyone loves. Everyone loves the, you know, less need, fuck them picks mentality. Again, I know I mentioned this before. I should be, I should probably be getting like a nickel every single time someone says that, being that I was actually the one who created that exact meme that is on t-shirts and cups and he wore the t-shirt and everything. I did that after the Jalen Ramsey trade. Props to me. Now that's become part of the, uh, the lexicon of the NFL. But anyway, you know, everyone wants to point to that as the reason that you do it. Well, the bears with uncertainty at quarterback and Mitch Trubisky, which remember they had one was a 12 win season where Nagy was coach of the year. All that stuff happened. You know, they brought in Khalil Mack before that they were 
continuing to just trade away picks and bring in talent and pay for it and outbid everyone. And when it works, it can work. But the problem is there are a lot of times that it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, you're left with the situation until you get rid of that GM. And if so typically they might hold on a little too long to the GM because of that prior success. But until you get rid of that GM, you can't really clean things up. Or rarely can you clean things up. I mean, the other teams I would say that got caught into the, you know, fuck them picks, let's build around this rookie quarterback contract where number one were the, the Rams themselves with Jared Goff. But that ended up working out because of the fact that they were able to mortgage even more into the future, upgrade to Matthew Stafford and the players who they did bring in, like Donald and Ramsey, were just the rare, not to bring in, I'm sorry, Donald was always there, but they brought in Ramsey and even extending, giving a lot of money to Donald, were the rare breed of player who can really live up to that type of investment. It's just very, very rare that that comes through and it shouldn't be assumed that that's going to happen all the time. So they're in there and that's obviously the, the success case for that. But other teams that I would put into that, I would put the Falcons, not building around a rookie, but building around a Super Bowl appearance um, after the 2016 season, held on probably a little bit too long to trying to do that, to mortgaging things. And again, they're in a mess there where they're taking their lumps right now, and they can only partially do that because of a lot of the contracts that they have there, probably a year or two after the fact of when they would have tried to do it. Um the Chiefs to an extent, and I think what's interesting about the Chiefs is I don't really necessarily blame them on this one, but there's a lot of poor moves. And I, I went through this last week about the moves that Veach made on, on a big level where you know they played this run it back after winning the Super Bowl. So again, that was their peak, and they, they didn't quite get there again, but they did get to the Super Bowl again, so you can't really argue that much with it. Uh, the Seahawks to a certain extent with when they continue to push things in, and now they're going to have to take their their lumps there. The Saints, of course, you know, they're like the masters at this and it's going to cause where last season is probably their their high point for a post Drew Brees era um, until it takes everything to clear out over the next couple of seasons, delaying that the Giants. I mean, what the hell? God went on over there, man. They're like they still need to make more cuts just to get under the cap and to be able to sign their rookies. And they stink. And they still have Daniel Jones on a rookie contract. Just absolutely incredible how how poorly things have gone there. And let me see, who else would fall into that bucket? I mean, the Eagles to a point. But, you know, the Eagles actually added some some value this year. They're not losing a lot of players. And Howie Roseman, what his skill was, and maybe this is part part partly due to how strong of a relationship he has with the ownership there, is that he was able to get out of some of the mistakes that he had made. So I think being able to extricate yourself from poor decisions. And again, they, they did a lot of this, you know, not, not quite fuck them picks, but, you know, pushing things in with Carson Wentz to try to win there, to be able to get out of that now. And some of that is being bailed out by a extremely cheap rookie quarterback contract for Jalen Hurts here, but be able to do that is a skill um, that they, that they had. And that's, yeah, that, that's really it. That's really it. Jaguars to a degree when they had Blake Bortles. Yikes. Well, what, what a what a disaster there. But anyway, going back to the Bears here, you're in this like rebuild in a second year of a quarterback contract. There was, and there's two different ways they could, they could have gone this season. They could have tried the build around Justin Fields and for next, for his second season, 
still have a mediocre at best supporting cast and um you know and and take away from your ability to be that great team in his third year and his fourth year and then if he if he is successful beyond that point and then also kind of lock yourself into Justin Fields and if the Justin Fields experiment doesn't work then you're you're screwed again Trubisky style so they have chosen not to do that and I don't I don't really blame them here they traded away Khalil Mack that's 23-5 in APY Allen Robinson goes to the Rams that's 15-5 in APY those are big numbers James Daniels a right guard goes to the Steelers that's 8.8 so these are all the biggest contracts of players who were on the Bears last year. None of them coming back. None of these players are coming back to the Bears. Uh, Belial Nichols is interior defensive line, 5.5 to the Raiders. You have Akeem Hicks, who is not signed anywhere, but he's probably gone. Eddie Goldman's gone. Um, Jakeem Grant, 3.3 million. I didn't realize he signed for that much. Uh, going to the Browns. Uh, Jimmy Graham is going to be gone. You're not really going to lose a whole lot there. Uh, but again, I, I'm we're looking at Players who have moved in free agency, not moved, players who have gone through free agency or been traded this offseason, who were on the Bears in 2021, if you go down the list here for the highest APY contracts of these players, we're going through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's not until we get to the 12th guy here, DeAndre Houston Carson. Safety. 1.8 million that the Bears signed. It's not until we get to him that we have someone who the Bears are retaining. That's a lot of guys. You're letting walk. Now they're retaining some other guys down here who are making, you know, a million or less, but that's basically it. So the Bears are just letting everyone go, including trading away Khalil Mack. Now on the other side of the equation, who are the Bears bringing in? Justin Jones, the interior defensive line for six million a year. Byron Pringle at 4.1 million. Uh, al Muhammad at 4 million, Lucas Patrick. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get some bodies in here to make up for what they've lost, but basically nothing. They're basically just taking off and trying to bring in some cheap names so they can have some competency around Justin Fields. But this is just a full-on rebuild year for the Bears here with a quarterback in his second season. Just really poor job of timing everything out. And it's really about... Ownership not moving on from the front office at the right timing here. Because um, even when Ryan Pohl's coming in now, like if Fields fails, is it his fault? It's not his pick. You know, you traded up. You gave Array a first-round pick to go get Fields. So it could be quite a delay here for the Bears before they're competitive again if Fields is not able to turn it around. Texans, minus 55 million. A lot of that's Deshaun Watson, though, so I don't really count them as being here at the bottom. Cowboys, now, how about them Cowboys? This is not a good offseason for them, not because I feel like they're making a ton of mistakes, but it's just, just tough. Like, they're going to be a wor- – they should be a worse team, and this is a team, of course, you know, not a good team, not a playoff team in 2021. So let's first turn to the side of the ledger – of guys that they brought in and Dante Fowler. I mean, uh, Dante Fowler is the only guy here really from the Falcons at 3 million. Other than that, they're just resigning their own dudes for more money than they were making before. Demarcus Lawrence, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz, Malik Hooker, 
you know, these guys are just, they're signing them to bigger numbers. Not a lot for when it comes to someone like Hooker. Actually, maybe Hooker's not even a bigger number since he was a first-round pick, right? Um, but, you know, not signing him for a lot cheaper necessarily, these guys. And then on the flip side, you have Amari Cooper, $20 million gone, Randy Gregory at about fourteen. Um, then you go down to Cedric Wilson Jr. So, you know, I don't mind. Like, if you're going to lose Cedric Wilson Jr. at over $7 million a year, it's probably the bad, you know, like – Probably just kind of just laugh at the Dolphins for doing that rather than getting that upset. Connor Williams, that could be an interesting one to the Dolphins again, seven million. But you know, just a lot of big players that are going on here. This is not a bear situation where they're just letting everyone go because they're trying to compete this year. But it is a team that has a more narrow path without the depth and the quality, especially a wide receiver that they had before. Just a more narrow path to making the playoffs and to being a championship contender than they had last season. And it's also a team that really needs to do better or else Mike McCartney is going to be gone. So McCartney is going to be up at the top at your, of your, um, of your first coaches to get fired. I mean, Matt rule is probably like the King of that category, but McCartney is going to be up there justifiably. So I go down a little bit further, the Cardinals on here. Now the Cardinals are, Another interesting case because you say to yourself, wait a second, they have a rookie quarterback. They are competing. They made the playoffs last year. Like, shouldn't they just be shoving everything in at this point? So why would they be near the top as far as losing guys? Well, I think when you look at the details of it, you don't don't get as upset at uh, some of the number figures. I mean, $18 a year to Christian Kirk going to the Jaguars – you know, whatever. You should, maybe you're happy about that. I mean, not happy about it, but I don't know if you're that upset about it. You're going to get Rondale Moore some more snaps. Hopefully, you could probably bring in a receiver that you draft uh, on day two to fill a decent amount of that. I mean, the Cardinals are in the bottom 10 for uh, improvement index, but, you know, they're not that far away from some other teams. They haven't lost that much there. I mean, Chandler Jones, sure. Yeah, you lost Chandler Jones. 32 years old. Eh. Not that worry about it. I'd be more concerned with the Cardinals giving you know ten million dollars to Zach Ertz and seven million dollars to James Conner. Not huge amounts, but why? Um, and then on, another thing that they lost is they lost Chase Edmonds going to the Dolphins at six million a year. Eh, like who cares? Jordan Hicks five million a year to the Vikings again. Hopefully your 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 rookies that you drafted the last couple of seasons are going to get in there and actually do something and replace that. Even though Jordan Hicks, 96%. He played 97% of snaps last year. That just kind of shows you how bad those uh, uh, Simmons pick was a couple of years ago. And then, God, the name escapes me now for the rookie from last year. But those those guys need to start playing. I mean, A.J. Green is going gonna, is gonna to be signing somewhere else probably. Well, maybe they'll bring him back for a little bit of money. And then... But again, this is the thing with the, with the Cardinals, which I don't necessarily mind because they're going to have to get money in place to sign Kyler Murray. But they're just not spending a lot on anyone here. The only guy – I mean, they're not spending more than $2 million to sign anyone who was not on the team last year. So they're not they're, – they're probably getting marginally worse this year as far as the talent around them if they don't hit on some draft picks. But getting marginally worse, at least from a potential standpoint, it's not so hot. It's not great for a team that has a rookie 
quarterback and is competing, trying to compete in a very tough division still, despite the fact that the Seahawks have fallen apart, making it a little bit easier. But, you know, not all it's cracked up to be there in the NFC West. All right, I'm going to hit one more team on this side of the ledger before I flip over to the to the good teams here or the teams who have gained at least salary value here, and that is the Rams. Rams, again, fall into the similar boat, but they're spending all this money on their quarterback, Matthew Stafford, now. So they've probably done a better job of not necessarily wasting money on contracts. But the Rams, if you look at who they brought in, Bobby Wagner, $10 million a year. That's it, really. Oh, actually, you know what? Excuse me. Allen Robinson. So, you know, bringing in two marquee players, that's pretty good. Even though they are losing, let's see here, uh, Vaughn Miller, if you want to call that, even though he's only there for half a season. So they're, they're losing Vaughn Miller, losing Robert Woods. I don't mind Robert letting Robert Woods go at all. Um, if you can just get rid of that salary, I think that's fine there. Uh, Darius Williams, whatever they've been able to fill in at cornerback for those types of positions, not a big deal. Austin Corbett, you know, $8.8 million a year for Corbett. You don't want to, to sign that amount. Sebastian Joseph Day. Now that one is a little bit of a more concerning loss of, uh, 8 million a year. But again, these are players they've been able to figure out and fill around there. I know that I, I probably sound like a broken record here. If you go back to podcasts or tweets that I was making last year, the year before or the year before that, but eventually some of the stuff's going to catch up with the Rams. Now I know they've been doing this, you know, Ponzi scheme sort of thing where they keep on trading away the future picks to bring them in here, whether it comes to the Von Miller deal, or the Stafford deal, but you know, Von Miller's gone. And you gave up the second and third round pick for for him. Stafford's still there, but now you're paying him $40 million a year. Everything is just getting a little bit tighter and a little bit more difficult for the Rams. But you got your championship, so maybe you don't care. But again, it's another team that probably doesn't have the ceiling that they did the year before here because of all the moves that they had to make. The Chiefs also being one of those teams, I'm going to mention that they are also here on on this list as, as, as having lost a lot because of Tyreek Hill going, because of... Um, uh, some of the other players there, mostly Tyreek Hill, but they got those picks back. And I think that's that, that's a good consolation for them to help build back up again. All right, let's go to the flip side. The flip side, player, teams that have gained a lot here, and they've also been gaining war. The Browns, $50 million here in player value gain, but a lot of that is Deshaun Watson. And... That does not net out Baker Mayfield going somewhere else, potentially. So if you knock off, say he's worth the $20 million that they were going to pay him, so it lowers down to 30 so they wouldn't be nearly as high. But still, they are gaining as a team that made the playoffs two years ago, probably should have made the playoffs last year, and has a solid core of talent. They're able to bring in guys like Amari Cooper. You know, They're losing J.C. Treader, losing some others. Uh, Jadavian Clowney is not going to be there anymore, probably. But they're one of the top teams in terms of cap space still, even with Baker Mayfield on the roster. It's not a ton of space. We're talking about 15, 60 million, something like that. But if they're able to trade away Baker for anything, recoup some of that money, they have, you know, they have a decent situation to, to and of course they mortgage a lot of their future for these draft picks, but I think it's well worth it from a football sense for Deshaun Watson. You guys are more than familiar with my sense of not wanting to do the trade because of all of the ickiness to say the least around 
the uh, sexual harassment allegations. Okay, second on the list is the Jaguars. Now, there's a lot of empty calories here when it comes to the how much eating that the Jaguars have been doing in free agency. Now, first on the side of, of who they lost, I mean, DJ Chark. So we're even netting out the $10 million from Chark here. Miles Jack, $8 million. Um, not huge losses for them. Andrew Norwell, you would have liked to have retained him. $5 million there going to the Commanders, which I'm still getting used to saying that. And a few other players, but nothing too fantastic. Now, who they brought in, and their offseason here reminds me a lot of the Patriots offseason from last year. And I think in hindsight, we might think, well, the Patriots had a successful season, a comeback season. They're back in the, you know, the playoffs again with the rookie quarterback. So therefore their offseason must have been successful. I don't know about that. I mean, their offseason was successful in the fact that they got Mac Jones, but if they didn't get Mac Jones, remember they they didn't trade up at all. They just sat there and waited and they got one of the quarterbacks fell to them. If Mac Jones did not fall to them. So if it was, let's say Justin Fields who fell to them, who looked really, really bad last year and could have been bad for them. Or if no one fell to them and they were coming into the year with, you know, Jared Stidham and, uh, do they still have, they have Brian Hoyer over there and Cam Newton or whoever? It could have been a disaster because they were just signing guys to contracts that were just way too much money just to bring them in. I mean, there's Christian Kirk bringing him in, bringing in some of these other players that they've had for the Jaguars. Very similar sort of deals when I see the Patriots just throwing money at, you know, the Nelson Aguilors of the world, the John New Smiths of the world others where they're just kind of throwing a little too much money at them just to make sure they bring them in the fold and they just have that spending that year. That's what this Jaguars offseason looked like to me, the empty calories that they're bringing in here. I, I don't mind Evan Ingram at 9 million. I think that's an interesting one, but you know, Zay Jones at eight, I just feel like for Zay Jones at eight, Christian Kirk at 18, um, maybe not Brandon Scherf is, is a great player, but he, again, he's missed a lot of time at 16, other deals here. I just feel like a lot of these players for the Jaguars are players that you credibly could have gotten 80% of the production from for 50% of the price, if not less. Now, maybe the Jaguars are just that, maybe players are just that um, against coming to the Jaguars that you have to throw this extra money at them, but they're making these deals so early in free agency that they didn't seem to really be playing hardball with anyone or really waiting on that. And they have Trevor Lawrence. So Lawrence is really just not either not doing his job or the Jacksonville Jaguars are just a very unattractive team for, for guys to come with. So a lot of empty calories here for the Jags, but they still are doing pretty well on the, on the improvement index, but not nearly as well as the teams that are adding quarterbacks. Okay. The Dolphins are next. Again, the Dolphins did not add a quarterback. We probably have to, Lower this a bit more, even though we're saying I'm bringing in about $50 million in value. You know, Tyreek Hill is a huge, huge part of this. And Hill is a guy that they have to trade away a bunch of picks for. So you're getting that $30 million APY extension on there, but you got to trade a lot, of, a, a lot of picks for him, right? Uh, they re-signed Emmanuel Ogba to a big deal, so that's a loss of value, even though it's a same player. Teron Armstead can't stay healthy, but $15 million, we'll see how that works out. Uh, Gasicki's number goes up, but he's on the franchise, so it depends who to play that. Cedric Wilson, I mentioned that before when we are talking about the the uh, Cowboys, $7.3 million. Not great. I like Connor Williams building that offensive line at $7 million. 
And, you know, 6.5 for Teddy Bridgewater. It's like, you might as well just go in on Tua and just not even waste any money. Chase Edmonds, 6 million. I mean, again, there's, there's some empty calories here, too, for the Dolphins here. Uh, I mean, the blockbuster trade for Tyreek Hill, a team that should certainly be better and a team that was on the cusp of the playoffs two years ago. So I think they're a strong contender to potentially, potentially make the playoffs as long as, you know, the Jets don't do anything and maybe the Patriots regress a little bit. But not not a good long-term building strategy, I would say, for the Dolphins. The Broncos. The difference here is $32 million, and that is pretty much all accounted for by Russell Wilson. They did bring in Randy Gregory, which I don't mind that if you can hopefully get that snap count up. So they brought in Gregory, they bring in DJ Jones. So if you look at their top three big additions that are coming over, you know, those are, that's a lot of money. It's 35 plus another 10 plus another 13. So what are we up to here? 58, 59 million in APY on those three players alone getting, you know, top heavy, but still they've done a good job, not building too expensive of a roster and a team that was fairly competitive, at least early in the season with Teddy Bridgewater. So now you're substituting in Russell Wilson. It's a really, really interesting team. Unfortunately, they're kind of mired in that, um, AFC West, but they're a real contending team, I think, unlike the Raiders, maybe. So spending to to boost yourself up there, I, I can see that happening. Now, who did they lose? Shelby Harris was, I, I feel like, was more like a salary dump than anything else is one of their losses there. Uh, Bridgewater doesn't really count. Kyle Fuller, we'll see if he comes back or not. Noah Fant, again, was part of that that trade Melvin Gordon doesn't really count. So, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys, I'm not really too worried about the losses here for the Broncos. So I think they had a highly, highly successful offseason. And again, they were the number one team on my improvement index uh, adding. Let's see how much here adding about a win. So that's, that's pretty solid for them. All right, let's hit up a couple more teams. So the jets and the chargers. So the Chargers again, fall into this bucket where, Without upgrading at quarterback, they upgraded quite a bit of value. They are in the top five on my improvement index without having to sell the farm like the Dolphins did, who are slightly above them, or the Jaguars did, who are below them as far as the improvement this this season. And just a few good strategic moves. $20 million a year for Mike Williams. I mean, probably not worth it, but you have a little wiggle room there with your rookie quarterback. Other than that, nothing. Guys that they lost are not going to be a huge deal for them. Brian Berlaga did not work out, so I'm not that worried about that there. And interior defensive line, Justin Jones, they brought in some interior defenders here. So, again, let's look at the guys that they brought in and how many, you know, quote-unquote empty calories here. 23.5 for Khalil Mack. You know, you don't love the fact that he's 31 years old, but those are not empty calories, especially when you combine him with Joey Bosa and the rest of that offensive line. Mm. J.C. Jackson, 16.5 million, 27 years old. Hey, couldn't end up being a, a big overpay, but again, you're shooting on like solid, solid talent, top cornerback of the free agency class. Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson bringing those guys into the interior. I think it fits in perfectly with their defense. 15 million total between the two of them gives them some depth. Don't mind that at all. Gerald Everett, 6 million. Maybe a little heavy, but in an environment where Zach Ertz at, you know, 33 years old or whatever he is, is, is signing for more than 10 million. I'll, I'll take Gerald Everett 
as a guy that you don't need to lead your passing office, but to be an athletic type of guy that can go downfield a little bit. I'll take him for $6 million. And, you know, that's about it for them. But a really, really solid, maybe it's not quite the breadth that you'd like to see from some of these signings for the Chargers, but they had one of the more solid uh, off-seasons here. And the next and the last team that I'm going to talk about is the JTS Jets, Jets, Jets. Lakewood Tomlinson, I don't mind that one, but a 30-year-old at 13 million APY, it's a little heavy to hear. DJ Reed, CJ Uzama at 8 million. Again, we just discussed Gerald Everett. You know, Uzama's probably been a little bit more productive than Everett has been, but it's a decent amount of money there. Jordan Whitehead from the Buccaneers. Uh, Tyler Conklin, again, another tight end. So, I mean, like you're bringing in Uzama and Conklin for a combined $14.8 million. I don't know, man. You're paying you know, $6 million to Braxton Berrios, despite the fact you might sign someone. Bringing back Flacco, $3.5 million, which isn't bad, but, you know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'm just like, uh, the Jets, I don't know what to say. I feel like Joe Douglas is... Like if they don't, if the Jets do not, I mean, this, this goes into the fact that they were in the Tyreek Hill market and willing to just mortgage a lot of stuff there. Douglas is on that precipice of, I don't know if I can trust this guy to make the best long-term decisions for the franchise because the quarterback is his, you know, you can't just get rid of Zach Wilson and start over like you could with Sam Darnold, who was drafted by a previous um, regime. The free agency moves that they've made have been his. The lack of improvement could be put on him. And if they don't have a major jump this year, I mean, I don't know if they need to make the playoffs, but if Zach Wilson doesn't look good and they don't look like they're a good team this year and they're bad, right? Not as bad as some other teams. They didn't, they're not the worst team in the, in the NFL but last season, but they're bad. They're really bad. If they don't have a big jump this year, and the, Joe Douglas is gone, probably. He's probably fired if they don't have a huge jump this season. So trading away the farm for Tyreek Hill is the type of move you're going to see from with an unproven quarterback, right? is the type of move you're going to see from a GM who is making decisions with his last hope for an NFL season in mind, maybe a little bit too much versus having the correct approach to steward the franchise to be successful. If Wilson pans out, if Wilson doesn't pan out to have the quicker rebuild, to not be wasting money, things like that. Um, so I'd be very concerned for Jets fan. I think you just kind of have to move on from Joe Douglas if this if it doesn't work here. And then, you know, I don't know what you do since you've kind of spent a whole lot, but at least you haven't mortgaged away your draft picks yet um, for something like Tyreek Hill. Because imagine if they brought in Tyreek Hill for all these draft picks they're supposed to. Hill's 28 years old. Um, Wilson busts. You probably got to give him a couple more years, but he busts. You know, Hill's already 30 by the time that you're trying to figure out your quarterback situation again. You haven't had first-round picks to go and necessarily get another quarterback to fill into the void. Could be a total, complete disaster and a five-year re, you know, delay on on the franchise ability to to compete. Not that they've been competing much in the recent past anyway, but could have been a major, major, major mistake. And yeah, I don't know about Douglas going forward. I mean, best luck to them. I hope Zach, Zach Wilson pans off, but pans out, but. 
not necessarily the way that I would want to go there. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again. Jim Sonnis Jim will be here later this week to talk quarterbacks. I'm very excited there. You know, I've had a lot of research on quarterbacks so far. We'll go through all of that. And then that will be the last episode for this week. And then we'll come back with more and more draft, draft, draft going into the draft. Um, coming after draft Twitter, too. You guys, you, you guys are going to get some, I think, of my, of my wrath going forward here. But thanks, everyone. Rate and review the pod. Otherwise, I'll be talking at all of you later this week. 